0: Welcome to the One Crossing podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You doing all right? Oh, really? Is it that bad? Yeah, okay. I'm doing a, You know, there are so many reasons that we can be so thankful And uh, one of those things that I absolutely am incredibly thankful about is how we are able to dwell together in unity we are so different just look at your neighbor see what I'm saying we're very different we're all different we all have just so many different you know viewpoints and, and ideas but there's something about finding that identity in Jesus Christ that pulls us all together and it's just awesome you know in the book of Psalms it talks about how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And I have felt that at the crossing, and it just makes me thankful. And sometimes it's easy, you know, to, to kind of get sidetracked on all the other things, but to be reminded that we can have that unity in Jesus Christ. Is incredibly incredibly good and speaking of unity I am so thankful that all of you that are all of our locations all eleven uh, throughout this region of three states uh, join together in that unity so thankful for each and every one of you if you're watching inside thankful for you and online as well really really thankful that we can be this one body in Christ even though we're in all these different locations and all these different walks of life we can be one well That's true in the body, but we are definitely facing some challenging times, aren't we? I mean, you think about it. What we're dealing with as a culture right now, an American culture, we are being confronted with so many challenging and condemning, judging issues, aren't we? Think about the discussions that we're having right now. We're having discussions about slavery reparations. Our schools are considering making critical race theory part of our children's education. We're experiencing cancel culture in all sorts of ways. We're pulling down monuments. We're changing the names of our schools and our buildings. Former presidents like Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson and Woodrow Wilson are being judged by today's cultural norms police are being judged as a group and they're being defunded in some cities immigration is out of control on our southern border transgender athletes are wanting to compete in the division that they identify with people who haven't been vaccinated with for covid are being pressured in many ways to get that vaccine right now there's so many And if there wasn't a statement that offended you in some way what I just said, I mean, you know, just pick one. Because everything is getting everybody riled up so we would divide more and more and more. Some people are being triggered because they're frustrated by conservative Christians or by liberal activists, or maybe it has something to do with like a woman in a hijab. You just see that and you're triggered. Those are just a few examples of the worldly judgment atmosphere that we're living in right now. And the the condemnation that goes with it is just running rampant. Now, we're in a series called Crazy Faith. And Crazy Faith has an attitude that's completely different from a worldly attitude. And I want you to think right now about a person or people that you might label or you might judge and you don't even know them. It it may be because of what you were taught uh, growing up in your family. Maybe it was because of personal experience that you have had, but regardless, you've uh, developed an attitude, a worldly attitude. Now, I don't wanna give any personal illustrations about this in my life you know a lot of times i'm pretty transparent with you you know about like things that i've struggled with but i really don't want to do that right now because i don't want to be labeled how about you rather not be labeled and the fact is we're all guilty of this now i grew up in a home that had some strong opinions and it wasn't hard for me as a child growing up in that environment to just want to adopt those opinions for myself And if I look back in my past, I've got frustrating experiences that have happened to me where I found it easy to label an entire people group by the experience that I have. You know, that everyone is judged by that one person or group of people that I interacted with. I don't care who you are, I don't care how you grew up, I don't care how much money you have, I don't care the color of your skin, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation, your occupation, you're dealing with this. We're all dealing with this. And the fact is that those opinions fly in the face of the faith that God calls us to. We give ourselves permission to hold on to all these attitudes when they need to be surrendered along with our hearts to our true identity. And our true identity is to be a Jesus follower. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it's incredible, incredible scripture. And we most often think about the second half of this scripture, but I really want you to consider the first half, ready? So from now on, we regard no one how many is that that's no one from a worldly point of view you know the rest of that scripture is if anyone is in christ he's a new creation the old is gone new has come right so we're like well we love that part but hit hit on that first part we regard no one from a worldly point of view you see this issue it isn't new with us. It isn't new with our culture right now, with our divided nation. It's not it's not new with us. It's been around. It's as old as time. And and, and let me tell you, cancel culture is not gonna solve it. Rewriting history books isn't gonna solve it. Changing signs on bathrooms isn't gonna solve it. Mandating masks is not gonna solve it. Getting the other party elected is not gonna solve it because it's a heart issue. And that's where the change has to happen. And you know, only Jesus knows how to do that right. Only Jesus knows how to change the human heart right. Now we see this plainly when we read the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is very, very clear about it when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Just using that term, Good Samaritan, is an oxymoron culturally to the the Jews of that time because they didn't believe there was any such thing as a Good Samaritan and to make him the hero of a story. See, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbor is yourself. And the second's like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer who asked him the question was anxious to justify himself. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers by telling the story of the good Samaritan. And it must have infuriated the crowd. It illustrates the clear prejudice of the Jewish people against their closest neighbors. We don't, we don't just see it in that story. We see it in how Simon Peter feels after he's sharing the gospel about the Gentiles, like the, the, the idea that non-Jewish people could actually come into faith in Jesus Christ. It takes God's intervention to even, even think about changing. It's clearly seen in how the Apostle Paul views Christians before his own conversion. He was a militant, a terrorist when it came to Christians before his conversion. But with all of that in mind, today I want to talk to you about an example from the Old Testament. It's the story of Jonah. Now when people think about Jonah in the Bible, what do they think about? They fixate on one part of the story right? It's Jonah and the whale. Jonah and the whale. Some of you that are like a, a little bit more, uh, you, you know, you, you, we, we think we're a little more theological. So I, actually, Jonah and the big fish. <laughs> big fish. Not, 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 not the whale. There's a used term for whale. Okay, whatever. Anyway, there is so much more to this little story of 48 verses. The whole book is only 48 verses And it works us over in this very area where we give ourselves permission to have these attitudes about other people. Now to understand the book of Jonah, you need to understand the context, and it's through that context that Jonah's attitude comes into focus. So just bear with me with a little history lesson. Israel at the time of Jonah is divided into two kingdoms. One in the north, one in the south. Now each kingdom has its own king. And the Bible records that just about all of those kings were bad with only a few exceptions. But what is it that makes a king a bad king? Well, the Bible, their angle on that is that it's when they don't honor God and when they don't put him first, just very simply. That's what makes you a bad king, either northern or southern kingdom. Now, Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom, and he's a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Now, the Bible describes Jeroboam II as a bad king, actually a very bad king. But if you were to look at Jeroboam II by worldly standards, and not biblical standards or godly standards, he was actually a very good king. Why? Because he brought prosperity to the nation. He regained territory that had been lost. He had defeated Israel's enemies and he actually reigned the longest of any king in the north, 41 years. So if if you're getting uh, more affluent, you're getting richer, you're getting more of your country back, everything is up until, you know, it's all going this way, you're you're probably going, hey, he's a really good king. Guess what? Jonah, the prophet, loved this guy. Thought he was great, and he counseled him, and he was always in favor of him. He was always giving him good, you know, like, you know, good press. It was a stark contrast to a southern kingdom prophet named Amos, who's also in your Old Testament, who did just the opposite and said that he was a terrible king. Now, this gives us great insight into Jonah, okay, previous to the story of Jonah. And what it tells us is he was more devoted to his nation and to his nation's well-being than he was to God and his calling as a prophet of God. Now, at the time, there was a great world empire named Assyria, okay? And Assyria was conquering all of the surrounding nations. They'd been doing it for some time, and they, uh, they were a, uh, a world kingdom that uh, was centered north and east of Israel. The capital of the Assyrian empire was Nineveh. And you all know about Nineveh, but you know it through uh, present day world history rather than ancient world history because Nineveh is the modern city of Mosul, Iraq. And we've definitely read a lot about Mosul, Iraq. Now this empire, the Assyrian empire, it was ruthless, absolutely ruthless. I'm not gonna take the time to tell you all the horror stories of what they did, but let me tell you, they used atrocities to strike fear in their enemies. Horrible atrocities, all right? Now, there's a great deal of archaeology that's out there that confirms all of this. Now, Assyria had frequently ventured into the northern kingdom of Israel, and they plundered and they conquered and did all kinds of horrible things to people in the northern kingdom. And because of that, Jonah hated them absolutely hated them for it. So when God calls Jonah to go to preach at Nineveh, Jonah is not having any of that. He's like, no way. Jonah chapter one, verses one to three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. (laughs) Jonah runs in the opposite direction, but check this out. He did not run out of fear. He wasn't afraid to go tell what he was supposed to tell in Nineveh. There's a a very specific reason that he ran. He should have feared God and done what God said. He ran out of anger and hate. He didn't wanna go preach to Nineveh because he was afraid that he might be effective. He was afraid that Nineveh would hear that about the Lord and they might even repent and then they wouldn't get the judgment of the Lord. He hated them so much, he wanted them all to die. And he ran, listen, because he thought he was right and God was wrong. Now, what if that's true about you? What if that's true about the attitudes that you give yourself permission to have? What do you judge those attitudes against that you carry with you? Because I can tell you this, God's way is the best way. And it is always the best way. Here's one thing to consider in this story, how it might apply to you and me. What if the bad guys in the story could be the good guys? They just need God's mercy. Think about it. What if they could actually be good guys? You know, it's true at the beginning of the story, it's true about the sailors in the story. In Jonah 1.10, let me set this up for you. So Jonah gets on this boat down in Joppa in Israel, and it's gonna it's gonna sail north uh, to Tarshish. And, and uh, so Jonah goes down in the hold, hold of the boat, and he goes to sleep, and God creates this storm. And uh, the people, the sailors that are on the boat, they're, they're trying to fight this storm. They can't fight it. And it's gonna end up scuttling the ship. It's gonna kill everybody on board. And so they're all superstitious Gentiles and they start uh, rolling dice, casting lots to see whose fault is this, you know? So they're casting lots and guess what? Guess who gets the, I don't know, the snake eyes or the, you know, Jonah. So they're like, so it's that guy. So you think that they would be like really angry with Jonah. No, they just want to understand what's going on. So Jonah explains to them He's honest to them and tells them the story that God had told him to go to Nineveh, but he was sailing in the other direction because he hated them. And these sailors, they freaked out. They got really, really scared. And Jonah tells them the only thing they can do if they wanna survive is to throw him overboard. And they don't wanna do it. Listen to this. In verse 10, chapter one, it says, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Even in their ignorance, these Gentiles were trying to honor God. And yet the man who really knew God was doing everything he possibly could to dishonor God. Is it possible that our prejudices Are getting in God's way of extending his mercy his grace his love to the people around us is that possible so you know what happens right they they, they do their best to not throw Jonah overboard but they realize there's nothing else they can do they ask God for forgiveness Jonah's God And they do, they throw him overboard. And as soon as they throw him overboard, everything calms down and they start setting sail again. In the meantime, God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah. That's what the Bible says. Now this is where the more well-informed, educated, scientific people around us right now abandon ship, right? Because they're like, come on, how is that possible? A fish swallows a prophet and he lives inside the belly of a great fish like in his digestive tract. Three days and nights inside of a fish. Come on, give me a break. Actually, that's a pretty small thing to God. It's not really a big deal to God. And if you, by the way, are interested in believing the truth of God's word and you think that's a big deal, how about parting the Red Sea? How about an 80-year-old man and a stick? 80-year-old man and a shepherd's staff, and he, with the power of God, parts the Red Sea, two million people walk across on dry land. It's not even muddy. Is that one a harder one to believe? How about making the sun stand still in the sky? That's a pretty big deal, right? Like, you say a prayer, and then the earth stops rotating on its axis, and nothing blows apart? You think that three days and nights in the belly of a big fish is a bigger deal than that i don't think so how about raising somebody who's been dead for three days back to life actually this one's a pretty easy one three days a nights instead of a big fish okay i'll buy that you see my faith takes me to greater things than this as you know that Jesus actually reaffirmed the truth of this story when he prophesied about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In Matthew 12, 38 to 41, Jesus's words are these. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Do a trick, Jesus, do a trick. We want to see a trick. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah, this is Jesus talking, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Listen to what he says in 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Maybe the bad guys can be the good guys, they just need the mercy of the Lord. Second point is true repentance of prejudice, it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy, no matter what direction it goes in. Jonah 2 is a pretty amazing little chapter it's a prayer the whole chapter is a prayer that jonah gives while he's inside this fish and i think it's an incredible prayer because it's so crazy it's a crazy faith prayer jonah if you read this if you read jonah 2 jonah prays like god has already delivered him like god has already saved him out of this fish i mean it's a great prayer of faith this is what he says, I'll make, uh, I, I'm going to make good my vow to serve God. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm reading, I'm in the second chapter, I'm like, Jonah, you got it, man. It didn't take, it, it, you know, you had to be swallowed by a fish, but you got it. It's pretty awesome. Actually, no, he doesn't have it. It's kind of like, you got it, you got it. No, you don't have it. God does deliver him. He does. And the whale vomit reeking Jonah does go to Nineveh. And he declares its destruction, but the result is not what the prophet expected. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 to 10, it says this, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. That's pretty amazing. That's a little... That's just four words, but man, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. This this horrible king that did all these atrocities, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. That's a sign of repentance. And this is the proclamation issued, he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Pray. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Wild. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This should just blow your mind. The Assyrian Empire is this huge empire. I've been to the British Museum before, and there's like this entire wing. It's all archaeology from Assyria. I mean, it was in gee. Now, this is why this is such a big story to me. I want you to imagine that happening today. I want you to imagine somebody preaching a sermon this short, 40 more days and X will be overthrown. Imagine that happening in Mecca and everyone repenting and turning to God and fasting. Imagine that happening in Moscow. Imagine Vladimir Putin coming out of his office and saying, I am declaring a fast. I want everybody to put on sackcloth and sit down in the dust and pray to God to bring Russia back into a right relationship with him. Imagine that happening in Beijing, China. Imagine it happening in Washington, D.C. (laughs) History records that after this, in Assyria, there was a generation where the world did not experience what the Assyrian Empire had been like before they changed. What a great end to the story. Except for it's not an end of the story. (laughs) Sorry. It's really not even the point of the story. The point of the story is what's going on in one man's heart. The heart of Jonah. And this is where we need to capture this third idea. The roots of our prejudices, they go down deeper than we think they do. Jonah chapter 4, the final chapter of the book of Jonah, verses 1 to 3, it says, but... To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. So he preaches, literally, everybody comes forward. By the way, that would be great. If I'm done with the sermon today, you can just all come forward. You know, wouldn't that be awesome? That's what happened with Jonah. But to Jonah, that seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? (laughs) That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are, check this out. I knew that you are gracious, daggone it, and compassionate. Oh, it makes me so mad. And you're slow to anger, and I'm not. And abounding in love, and all I want to do is hate. You're a God who relents from sending calamity. That is so messed up. Now, Lord, take away my life. Kill me, God. For it is better for me to die than to live. The lesson isn't over. We might know the right thing. Listen to me. We might know the right thing. We might even go so far as to do the right thing. But until our hearts change, we will never be the right thing. That's why we need crazy faith. Because we can't do that to our own heart. We need Jesus to do that to our hearts for us. Now, this is kind of the, this is kind of the bad part. You ever watch a movie... And it just messes you over because it doesn't leave you with the ending that you want, unless you're watching Hallmark all the time. It is not going to leave you with the ending you want. And that's the way it is with the book of Jonah. It doesn't leave you with an answer. It leaves you with a question. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, it says, God is speaking and he says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. I just stop right there and I go, there are so many people that don't know God and they're acting however they're acting. It's because they don't know God. And why is it that they don't know God? Maybe it's because we're not telling them. And maybe we're not telling them because we're holding on to these things. They can't tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals. He even says the animals. Who do we think we are to stand in the way of our calling, to demonstrate the love of Jesus with everyone that we come in contact with? What gives us the right to pick and choose who we're gonna share that with when everybody needs to know about him? Who are we to give ourselves permission to hold on to the idolatry and the prejudices that we have while hypocritically claiming to follow Jesus. I want you to listen again to the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh, remember, these are horrible people that did horrible things, that repented. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment With this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And today, at this moment, all of our locations, inside, online, you know what is greater than Jonah that's here, and that is the presence of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. And we know the truth. We know what he did. We know the price he paid. We know that he died on a cross for us, that he had mercy on us. Romans says we were the enemies of God, but we've made peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to start the process of letting go of our prejudices, whatever they may be, that hinder us from our true identity, telling other people about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that loves us all. And we need to do that before a big fish starts circling your boat. (laughs) We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.